0: You're listening to Differentiated with Ben Silverman, where investment research analysts dive into insider data and demystify the signals that drive one of a kind investment ideas.
1: Welcome to Differentiated. I'm your host, Ben Silverman. On May 3rd, 2023, the Securities and Exchange Commission unveiled new buyback disclosure rules. This is the first overhaul in years related to how and when companies disclose buyback data. Buybacks have been a hot topic among investors for years now. On the plus side, investors believe that buybacks are an optimal way of returning cash to shareholders and are an important part of a capital allocation strategy. More negatively, some investors believe that buybacks mask operational underperformance and are used to help boost executive compensation. Politically, buybacks have also become a hot-button issue in recent years. The Biden administration was able to push through a 1% excise tax on buybacks last year, and they were attempting to push back a higher tax this year. Many politicians, mostly on the left, have criticized companies for utilizing uh, their cash for buybacks, suggesting they instead invest in companies or pay employees more. Regardless of what your feelings are on buybacks, they're here, and they appear to be here to stay, at least in the near term. So with that in mind, we're going to talk to Verity Data Senior Analyst Ali Raja about the new buyback rules. Ali, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ben. So Ali, at the first, very first episode of uh, Differentiated, you and I talked at length about buybacks, and we talked about companies uh, being opportunistic with buybacks, and that's what we as analysts look for. But the new rules really are about Not about how companies utilize buybacks, it's about their disclosures around buybacks. So why don't we walk through the new rules? And I'll start by asking, what is the most important new rule that is going to go into effect? And by the way, these rules will go into effect in 2024. We'll start seeing the new reporting requirements kick in with quarterly reports and annual reports filed uh, during the first quarter of 2024.
0: Yeah, so let's um, start with uh, the biggest change is a daily table of buybacks. So what that means is the amount of stock a company bought back on a daily basis. So you have a new table introduced, and that'll cover the amount of volume per per day. But not only that, they're actually going to have companies break out the amount that was bought back via 10b-51 plans and that was open market. And to be clear. Just because it's 10B5-1 doesn't mean it's not open market. It is open market. It's just the way they execute it.
1: So we're going to go from a month, you know, it's again, the disclosure is made quarterly and we get monthly data now. In the future, we're going to get daily data. What is that daily data going to tell us that the monthly isn't? It's going to tell you how variable management can be with their
0: buyback programs and and especially when you have the inclusion of the Five One plans, you know, as you just mentioned, companies do use that to execute their buybacks. Uh, you can really see if, you know, maybe perhaps a stock is dropping below a certain level and, you know, the buyback picks up. And so sometimes you can see that on a monthly basis, but you're going to get a much more refined view SEC is making it so companies are going to give us more data and more insights into how management is operating their, those buyback programs.
1: So do you think we'll, we might be able to triangulate some prices there that, you know, on a daily basis, if we if looking at the data, you start seeing company X's stock, and when I say X, it's not U.S. Steel, uh, company X's stock is uh, dropping below $100 and the daily volume is increasing. You can sort of draw some assumptions from that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially when you think about how 10B51 plans operate, often it's, you know, buy X amount of shares below this price, buy even more shares at this price. So when you have that breakdown on a a daily basis, you will be able to tell perhaps what kind of pricing metrics a company's employing in those 10B51 plans.
1: Right. And then, and those pricing metrics are valuable. Those are valuation data points that investors can use. So so really, you know, again, the big change at the outset here is this, you know, new on a quarterly basis, a daily disclosure buyback activity, plus whether or not they're using the 10B51 plan for that. So there's another big change and this is a change in, in the sense of a real change because it's not a change in how something's disclosed. It's a very—it's an entirely new disclosure.
0: Yeah, so the other big change is the addition of a narrative. Basically, companies more clearly talking about why they executed a buyback or why they think the buyback um, is, is appropriate at that time. So this is a new requirement. But right now, a lot of companies actually do sort of give a narrative when they announce buyback programs. If you think about any time a company has a press release for a new buyback authorization, management is often giving some phrasing as far as why they're doing this. Right now, Verity actually tracks that. and We database that by cataloging the different phrases that management uses.
1: So what what kind of phrases are they currently using within uh, their 8Ks and press releases? So the most common term you'll see, I'll
0: mention the broader version, is when they think it's going to increase shareholder value. That might be them saying it's accretive to EPS or some variations of those sorts of things. Beyond that, uh, management also have phrases such as undervalued. And it might be a variation of that. Again, it could be, you know, we're going to buy back because the stock is trading below what we think the intrinsic value is. And there's other
1: buckets as well, whether it's deploying it opportunistically or so forth. So the new narrative disclosure, I mean, do we think it's just going to be a bunch of boilerplate comments because... Certainly, everybody, if you you polled 100 CEOs about why they're doing a buyback and said, you know, is this to uh, increase shareholder value? They're going to say yes. So do we expect a more uh, complicated disclosure that involves talking about balance sheet or capital allocation or, you know, why they're doing buybacks now instead of doing M&A? At this point,
0: it's really unclear what those narratives will be like because it's Easier for management to say in a conference call that they think their stock's undervalued. It's less likely. It it, it could be a difference of legality whether they say that in a, in a 10K or 10Q. So it might be you know a, a big drop off from what, like how frequent we see companies say their stock is undervalued and that's why they're doing a buyback program versus what it could be in the future when
1: they actually have to associate that in the 10K. What percentage of companies when they're disclosing uh, buyback? plan authorization, because that's when they make these comments, Uh, what what percentage of companies are currently providing some type of comment or rationale? So when you look at 8Ks and press releases
0: and and you pull out that that commentary, that narrative that management is currently providing right now, about 40% of buyback initiations actually have some associated language that gives some reason why they are initiating a buyback program. The most common disclosure is increased shareholder value and the buckets that go with that. And that's about uh, almost 30% of the situations. And the rest, the remaining 10%, is some variation of um, undervalued, opportunistic, and prevent dilution is another common one as well.
1: You know, there was was an interesting article uh, after the rules were announced in the Wall Street Journal. and It was in the CFO Journal, which is one of my uh, favorite sections of the paper, and in talking about that CFOs are concerned as a group you know, over the costs and uh, difficulty of compliance here, and, and I think that boils down to the the narrative disclosure because all of a sudden you're going to have to be, as a CFO, you're going to have to be crafting, uh, you know, these statements um, that, you know, again, we we don't know the exact details yet, which is often the case with some of the SEC uh, uh, new SEC regulations, but you're going to have to craft some type of narrative that passes a regulatory and a legal and a PR sniff test. And that's uh, not always the easiest thing to do. So we'll be keeping an eye out for that. There was one other rule change, which is interesting because it crosses into the territory that, you know, I've specialized in for 20 years, which is insider trading. And there's uh, a new disclosure around buyback plan announcements in insider buying and selling. Correct. So there's going to be a new requirement that is going to be a checkbox
0: for whether Insiders, Schedule 16 insiders, executives and directors, bought or sold their stock within four days of that buyback plan being announced. There was some research put out by the SEC a few years ago saying that insiders were abusing buyback programs by selling quickly after buyback plans were announced. And it appears that's why they decided to put in this
1: new requirement as well. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I don't know how informative that's going to be for investors and I'll tell you why. And that's because, first of all, it's the checkbox that somebody sells. It's not ex- really explaining anything. You know, and insiders utilize 10B51 plans, 10B51 plans. We've discussed in prior episodes, there's been several changes around those in terms of waiting periods between plan adoption for sale and some disclosures and so forth. But it is not unusual for a company to announce a buyback plan authorization when they report earnings. And it is not unusual for insiders to pig the timing of their sales to after earnings. So you're going to get potentially a bunch of insiders selling after an earnings announcement that's happened to coincide with a buyback authorization announcement.
0: Yeah, I mean, most of the time when there's a buyback announcement, it's released alongside earnings. And so the timing is going to make it so that you're often going to get um, insider selling and react like afterwards when the window opens.
1: Right. And there's also this thing, if the stock happens to go up on the announcement of a new plan or an increased plan, it might hit a trigger prices for insiders. So, and again, it would just be circumstantial, you know, sort of wrapping up this, you know, subject for me, the biggest thing is, you know, the increased transparency is good. Uh, having that granular data is going to is, is going to be good, even though it's you know on a on a delayed basis. It's still there's still value in that data. It's going to help people in their investment process. You know the other thing is what I really really like about you know the sort of bulk of the rule changes here is that they're focusing on the actual buyback execution. And one of the things we've talked about for years uh, that we talk about in the media, we talk about internally, we talk about with clients is that, you know, focus on the execution. You know, if you're a very nimble trader and you're running uh, algorithms to, uh, you know, catch buyback plan announcements because stocks often always go up on that, that's great. But, you know, for most investors, buying into the news that someone has authorized a buyback plan can sort of be a fool's gold type situation because you really need to understand if the company is smartly executing the buyback or executing the buyback at all plenty of companies that announce buyback plans and don't use them or don't use them for months or quarters or even years after the plan is announced. We told many people in the media and elsewhere last year that we didn't feel that the 1% excise tax was going to impact buyback levels, that we thought it was just the cost, you know, a new cost of doing business. So Ali, um, with a lot of buyback data in for Q1 23, what are we seeing? Yeah, now we have a lot of Q1
0: data in, but it's not all the Q1 data. So I will say that it looks like we are tracking um, ahead of Q4 2022, We've already had more than $200 billion worth of reported buybacks for the Q1 quarter with a lot more companies to report. So you will have that gap uh, get filled up where it did end um, last quarter about $233
1: billion. So the projection right now on our end is that we'll, we're going to be at or maybe slightly above, slightly below the Q4 levels.
0: Yeah, we will. And so I guess, you know, the big takeaway there is that 1% excise tax is not making it so companies are materially differing what their buyback approach is for Q1.
1: Now, I've read many conference call transcripts, listened to many calls. It doesn't seem to be a subject that's coming up often. Have, Have you seen anything
0: on it? You see it come up and and a lot of times it could be a sell side analyst asking if that excise tax will make a difference in their cap allocation approach or whether they're going to do buybacks and, you know, the cadence of that. But, you know, the reaction is often very much the same where it's CFO saying that 1% is just not enough to make a difference in how they're going to execute their buyback
1: programs. Right. I mean, if you if if you think the stock's undervalued, you know, 1% isn't going to turn you off and all of a sudden change your mind and say, well, the stock's no longer undervalued because I have to pay a 1% tax.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I saw some really interesting commentary this morning from a CFO who basically said that, you know, we want to look for investments out of a um, mid-teens IRR. And right now, the CFO is very blunt in saying that we view it as a 20% IRR right now, buying back our stock. So that basically means that, you know, you compare against what their opportunities are to spend their money. And there's a good difference in buying back stock right now versus what their other opportunities are. And therefore, if you have, you know, this material difference, that 1% is not enough to take them away from the from the market to buy back stock.
1: Yeah, I also have to think that, you know, looking at effective tax rates, how they move around from year to year, that as a, you know, financial officer, you're sort of rolling in the excise tax into your other tax obligations because, you know, again, you, you could have very, very significant changes in your corporate effective tax rate from year on year. And, you know, you just package that all together, you know, and you figure it
0: out. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, a lot of offsets that go into play. So, that, you know, it's a, it's a complicated world,
1: those taxes. <laughs> well, luckily, we're not paid to be tax ex- experts. So that's a good one. Well, thank you again, Ali. I appreciate your insights about the uh, new uh, SEC uh, buyback rules. Thank you, Ben. I recently came across an example of where the new buyback disclosure rules would be helpful. I was looking at Akamai Technology. The company repurchased about $350 million in shares during the first quarter. It's about 2.9% of shares outstanding. On a dollar basis, that was their most aggressive buyback since the third quarter of 2018. And that was also the largest buyback in terms of shares outstanding since that same uh, quarter. What was interesting when I was starting to look at the company's buyback disclosure data was that the bulk of that repurchase came in the month of March. Company bought back about 445,000 shares in January, about 530,000 shares in February, And then they brought the hammer down and bought back almost 3.6 million shares in March. And I can see why. In January, the average price uh, paid per share was $87.25. In February, it was $82.71. In March, it was all the way down to $74.27. So under the current disclosure, this is an example of a company where you can say, hey, there's a line in the sand somewhere here. You know, at under $75, this company was extremely aggressive buying back shares. Now, that jives with what CEO Tom Layton said on the company's conference call. He said that prior to this year, over the last 10 years, we've bought back an extra 1% a year over and above the equity program dilution offset, meaning that what the company... uh, attempts to normally do with their buyback is to offset dilution from stock-based compensation and then on an annual basis, take down another 1% of shares outstanding. He said, obviously, Q1 was more than that. And he said, you know, when the stock goes lower, the programmatic or automatic buying also increases. That's evidence, you know, he didn't use the term 10B51. But the company is certainly using a 10B51 plan based on those comments. So this is a great example of a few things. One, it's a company being opportunistic with their buybacks. It's a company employing a specific buyback strategy of offsetting dilution plus taking uh, down another 1%. And it's also an example of a company very, very smartly utilizing a 10B51 plan. The disclosure, however, is delayed. By the time this disclosure came in, it was May 9th. So at this point, you're six weeks past the end of the first quarter. You know, the company, again, was buying back stock aggressively under $75. The good earnings report, some other factors helped kick the stock back up to over $85 by the time this disclosure came out. So how do you use that disclosure? Well, the best way to use that disclosure is if you own the stock, understand that at $75 or less, Seems like this company has a 10B51 plan that's going to kick in and provide some nice support for the stock. So you can look at that $75 as a line in the sand and say, well, I know that based on what the company did in Q1 and assuming they didn't you know, make a, a big change, which I don't think they would. I don't think they would particularly raise the threshold their price threshold here for the 10B51 plan to kick in aggressively to buy back shares. If they did great, if they said, you know what, now, you know, we think the stock is more valuable and we're going to raise that threshold to $80, that's great, that's, that's a better support line. But again, if it's $75, you now have that information. You can use that as part of your process. Going forward, when the disclosure rules change in 2024, we're going to be able to sniff this out even better. So I'm saying $75 now because I don't have a lot of data. I have, you know, one piece of data that is giving me some good information. Next year, I'll have more granular data. Maybe that price is actually $77. Maybe it's actually $74. Regardless, I'm going to be able to figure that out by the daily disclosures that are going to be present in the quarterly reports. And again, with buybacks, it's all about the execution and the way to get differentiated ideas is by keying in on the valuations that management has picked out to aggressively execute buybacks.
0: This episode of Differentiated with Ben Silverman was brought to you by Verity. Verity designs software that helps over 360 asset managers discover one-of-a-kind insights, streamline research workflows, and manage fund research productively. To learn more or begin a free trial, visit verityplatform.com. This episode of Differentiated with Ben Silverman was edited, mixed, and scored by Calvin Marty.